0: Welcome to Fur What It's
1: Worth. I'm a horrible person.
2: Would you leave stuff laying around?
1: An introduction to and exploration of
0: the furry fandom.
2: No, no, you can't do that because I seriously think of Five Nights at Fred Meyer every time someone says that. <laughs>
0: Guess what day it is. Well, we have
2: a choice here. Yeah, tell them what our choices are. What are the choices? Limbago in Idaho. What the hell?
0: That's right. It's hump day.
2: There are certain women I just want to bitch slap. <laughs> <laughs> So in summary, people are awful. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's kind of true.
0: And speaking of humping, here is Rue. And also Tugs, right behind them.
1: All right, and welcome. Thank you so much, Fire Breath, for that amazing introduction. I am here. I am Rue, GC Lexico, and this is my amazing co-host, Tugs. <laughs> cheesy back. lexico high cheesy oh i've messed up completely i'm
2: enjoying <laughs> this we're not taking this out continue
1: <laughs> so today's show um today's episode we're on let's see what season are we on episode eight episode 10,000, right
2: <laughs> yeah episode 1 million
1: i'm just kidding so we're on a lovely episode 11 of our season isn't that exciting i'm like i'm like halfway through
2: yeah can you believe we're actually halfway through the season
1: no i feel like that we just barely started
2: i know it's because you keep getting gas and we have to cancel recording
1: you know i i would really appreciate if you didn't talk about my flatulence on the show
2: it's okay i will just talk about your pie
1: (laughs) so tugs Tell us about the pie that you you got out and on your lovely little vacation excursion that you went out.
2: It was not a vacation. A vacation to me is a thing I plan for a long time and I go somewhere for a long time. Uh-huh. This was I just needed to get out of town, although I had planned to go, which is so I just re- literally like half an hour ago rolled up from Canada. Um, I was in I was up at Vancouver. Uh, it's an interesting con because it's a very much uh, relax a con. It's very small. I enjoyed myself. I went up and everyone local here in Seattle had decided, oh, no, I don't think I'm going to go. So I wasn't sure who I was going to run into, but I ran to all kinds of interesting people and I enjoyed myself immensely. And the fine, fine Canadian food because Canadian food is so much better than American food for the most part, because they actually have food standards. Um, it was good. It was really good. Um, I enjoyed that. And what was your favorite
1: was, meal out there?
2: You know, I didn't get any of this Canadian staples. I, so we had food in the hotel restaurant and then I just ordered Canadian Pizza Hut because it was really late and I was in a part of town that only had that and like really weirdly named restaurants that I didn't feel like I should order from, but Canadian Pizza Hut's really good. So I'm fine with what I got. Um, and then I went to, of course, Tim Hortons. I have a box of that sitting over here, so it was good. I enjoyed it. Um, I know it's boring that I didn't get a lot of foreign food. Like usually I go and get like the poutine and stuff and I didn't. Um, well,
1: what else have you been up to?
2: I was, I was going to ask, how long has it been since we've recorded? Like a month, right?
1: It's been a while. It's been a while. Uh, not, not that long. I mean, we recorded uh, another episode.
2: Yeah. Not yeah. Longer. Um, Not tons. I mean, I'm ready for spring. I'm so ready for spring. I'm so glad we jumped the clocks because I like the sun going down later. Uh, uh, I really do. I
1: hate daylight savings time. Oh, I re- my goodness.
2: I want it to just be permanent is what I want.
1: I just wanted to stay stationary, not change. Yeah, I say let's jump
2: forward and stay there. <laughs> <laughs> what about you?
1: Uh, well, let's see. Well, when you were out on a convention ex- excursion, I went out to a convention excursion myself, except it was local. <laughs> I went to a convention. It's called Salt con, which we just go and sit in the corner and act salty towards each other.
2: That's it's- a really badly named con.
1: I know. It's pretty horrible. It's pretty bad. So I ended up... Um, SaltCon is a board gaming convention that's out here in good old Utah. So I got to try out some brand new board games that I haven't been able to try out before. Like, one of them was Little Scythe. Which, if you played the Scythe series, it's it's basically the furry series of of Scythe. And it's it's pretty fun. It's a good little game and... Yeah, it, I got I bought some D and D dice, which happened to be a lot of money. <laughs> Why? Because they're gravity dice, and they're they're dice that um, are perfectly balanced. And so I don't know. I just thought it would be fun, so oh, I got gravity some dice. That's interesting. Yeah, that's that's the name of the company, at least. So.
2: Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, so
1: it's just perfectly balanced dice and they're metallic, they're metal. So it it gives a lot of heft as you're rolling your D twenties and you know, when you roll your ones all yeah. the time and you can feel that massive failure. That's cool. Rolling, so.
2: Did you, did you meet anyone famous there?
1: Uh, I mean, I, I'm ran. I, I don't know if board game makers would necessarily be considered famous. However, there's some people that it's like, oh yeah, I've played your board game. Oh, I really enjoyed it. You know, but I, I wouldn't say that I like, I wouldn't say that they're famous. They're famous in that community. Does that make sense? Like the fandom has like poppy They, yeah. yeah. Did you play that new
2: Hasbro game?
1: Uh, the, um, millennial monopoly game.
2: Just, I think it's just regular monopoly. That new thing, that new game.
1: Uh I know that they just barely came out with Millennial Monopoly where they make fun of millennials. Did you play it? No. Why not? Uh what's this new Monopoly game?
2: I, I know that you're
1: your significant other, your second.
2: <laughs> your no, he's my husband. I'm married. Absolutely you loves Monopoly. Yeah, I know he does. Um I was just I was just griefing you. I know monopoly no, okay. is not new. It's like a hundred million years old now.
1: And then Uh, The other thing that I've been up to is I went into my very first Smash Brothers tournament. Yay! And I lost. I was really bad. (laughs) And that's it. That's all I've been up to. Rue? What?
2: Stop it. Get some help.
1: You know, I've been trying for years and I just couldn't find anybody that could help me. So what do I do now?
2: (laughs) You do your cookie. Here it is.
0: Will he reuse another one? Is he ready? Is he going to bed with pastries again? It's Ruse Cookie Time, not sponsored by Betty Crocker.
1: All right, here's the cookie. Grant yourself a wish this year. Only you can do it. In bed with a cookie. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Done here.
3: Hailing frequencies open. Smoke SmokeScaleAquatus here with another round of news for you. As of Tuesday, March 19th, here are your space headlines. Just in the last 24 hours, it was announced that back in December, the Earth was struck by an asteroid, creating an explosion more than 10 times the strength of the Hiroshima bomb. It was roughly the size of a semi-truck with a trailer, which is hard for us to spot before it arrives. We're only just finding this out now because it hit in a very rural part of Northeast Russia, where no one lives and where no tracking sensors were available to directly record the event. Data from the nuclear testing sensors around the world eventually picked up on the event and scientists slowly started to piece it together. There are some really cool images taken from Japan's Himawari weather satellite that just happened to be in position to view it. We've entered a point in history that's beginning to feel a bit like Star Trek, where we just pull up sensor logs from months or even years back and we can make some really interesting discoveries. Speaking of Japan and asteroids, the Hayabusa 2 recently landed briefly on its target asteroid, Ryugu. It was part of a procedure to sample the rocky body by firing a small bullet into the surface. The resulting debris was collected for return to Earth. There's a video of the process, which doesn't look terribly dramatic initially, but then you see the cloud of rocket kicks up, and you see just how much the spacecraft has to put up with. It's pretty incredible. We just shot a space rock. Dinosaurs, you can consider yourselves avenged. Recently, a crewed Soyuz launched bound for the ISS, carrying three to join those already on board. This brings the station's crew complement back up to six. Cosmonaut Alexei Ovchinen and NASA astronaut Tyler Nick Haig got their second chance to fly after their previous attempt ended in an abort due to a problem with their Soyuz rocket. They were joined by NASA astronaut Christina Koch. All three will join Expedition 59, then transition to Expedition 60, when Ovchinen officially takes command of the station in July. Finally, some pretty outrageous news that blindsided some of us. NASA has announced that the SLS is taking too long, but they still want to launch Exploration Mission 1, an uncrewed test flight of the Orion capsule around the moon and back, and they want to do it on time. Because SLS is taking too long, they're exploring the possibility of putting Orion, its European service module, and the evolved cryogenic upper stage on a commercial rocket. Problem is, there isn't a rocket currently available that can launch that much weight to the moon. So, there's talk of launching Orion and the service module into low earth orbit, and then the upper stage, both on separate rockets. Have them dock, then perform the translunar injection burn. Some might think that means Falcon Heavy, but it could also mean Delta IV Heavy. We just don't know. They're still in the early stages of this investigation. For all we know, they may try to speed up SLS production to hit their June 2020 launch goal. Otherwise, that means putting humans on a rocket that's never flown before to fly Exploration Mission 2. And that's not a good idea at all. You can bet us space nerds are going to be paying close attention to this. That's all for this round. Stay tuned for next week's episode of For What It's Worth for More. Until next time, this is Smokescale Aquatus saying keep looking up, space fans.
2: Okay, we have a jump cut. The reason we have a jump cut is because due to technical difficulties, we had to reschedule this part of the show, which sucked, but hey, we love you and we are back. So, Rue has uh, unfortunately had to step out for this part of the show. That's suddenly why he's gone, in case you're wondering. Uh, But that leaves me and our guests. So, uh, before we get into the topic, uh, just to let everyone know, yes, we're going to talk about some sort of stuff this episode. We do that around here sometimes, and that's okay um no one's out to trigger anybody so put put on a little bit of a thick skin hang on and try and learn something i think we're going to have a really great show um and if you did learn something at the end let us know write in and let us know what you learned or what your perspective is and let's have some good discussion healthy discussion um because i feel like honestly we don't have a lot of that sometimes with some of these more difficult topics so today's topic will definitely be interesting it is furries of color When I say color, I don't mean Sparkle Dogs. We've done an episode on that. I literally mean people who are not white that are in the furry fandom. So we are joined today by two guests, two uh, dear friends of mine. We have Watcher. Say hello, sir. Hello, sir. (laughs) And we have his mate, Hybron. Hello. And uh, they're joining us from different places along the... Eastern seaboard for both of you? I don't know if you consider yourself Eastern Seaboard Hibern, but Eastern enough. Um so I am talking to you from the Consulate of
4: Wakanda. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so let's uh, let's let's talk about your backgrounds a little bit, gentlemen. So first of all, let's confirm you both are furries of color, right?
5: Yes.
4: If you mean by color of blue or sparkle or something like that, no. But I am of African descent or black or African-American, depending upon
2: how you care to interpret it. And hybrid. that goes the same for you, of course, correct?
5: Yes. Yeah. I'm of, um, of, uh, African, African descent. Yes.
2: So there's so many questions that, that I I have. And, uh, so today we're going to start with kind of general interaction and then we're going to move toward the fandom as we go through the show. Um, but, before we start talking about general life, let's learn about a little bit about your furry side, because that's what we always do at this part of the show. So, uh, we'll start with you hybrid. How long have you been in the fandom? Do you go to a lot of cons? What species are you? Tell us, paint a small picture for our audience about you.
5: Okay. Well, um, I was introduced to the fandom way back in like 98. And so, and, um, <clears throat> I dropped off uh, a couple years back and, um, I guess you could say at this point in time, I'm a. I guess you could say I'm a born again furry. <laughs> um, but my species derives of a um, mountain lowland gorilla, a Nile crocodile, and a, uh, a Sumatran tiger. So a tiger gorilla dial, if you will.
2: Very good. And your last con was
5: uh, further confusion twenty nineteen. And I um I try to go whenever I can possibly uh, go, you know. Um, usually FC is my go-to con. Um, I, it's, I like the convention a whole lot for sentimental reasons, pretty much. Um, and this coming year, I'm going to see about going to Delphia, which is, uh, I think that's like their third year running.
4: That's a new
2: con, right?
5: Yeah.
4: Yeah, I think so relatively so this this year would be their third year okay. i believe
2: and watcher how far back in the fandom do you go what species are you and what is your small picture that you're painting for the audience
4: well i would say i was exposed to furry online around 2002 uh i m- went to my first convention uh 2003 further confusion and this was when they were at the Double Tree. Uh, That was many years ago, and I am a white Siberian tiger. Uh, The fursona is something that chose me. I did not choose it, and I am a culinary artist. I am a mixologist, and I try to incorporate tea into wherever I can, whether it's food,
2: or liquor you know i think i'm just realizing this and maybe i have realized in the past and forgotten but i don't think i have i think we share our first fc i think you and i started at the same fc what 2003 i think so because didn't you um have uh tea tree toothpicks tea tree oil toothpicks i remember that very specifically
4: well i may have had that because uh something that I tend to do whenever I go to uh, a convention I pack a sort of a mini apothecary of things because nobody likes being sick when they're on vacation so I will have different things to help alleviate any issues not just for myself but you know anyone who I meet if I have something that can help them you know I'll, I'll set them up with it but two, 2003 I technically wasn't part of the convention as i was a a demo rep for uh, a bunch of games so i was mainly in the the gaming room demonstrating various games for most of the con but um the track lead had lent me a badge to you know take a look around the con and i went to the dealer's room And, you know, saw some of the things there. Then, you know, I decided to be in uh, the gaming track uh, the following year. And so 2004, and for a few more years, I was part of the the gaming track. And I would either demonstrate games or watch uh, the gaming rooms for them. After a while, uh, I just attended the con because... I found that a lot of the events that I wanted to go to coincided with my shifts. So it was like, okay, you know what? Let me go and enjoy the con because, you know, I'm spending money to travel on to the other side of the country and all this other stuff. So it's like, let me do some stuff for me. So I would do that. And then, um, 2004, I started doing something called the Titanium Tea, which is a tea social. Uh, the premise behind it was having people come together and, you know, socialize a little bit, hang out, and enjoy tea. I used to run the Titanium Tea out of my hotel room, but after a while it got to the point where I needed a bigger space because you really can't have 30, 40, 60 people uh, come into a small hotel room. Uh, it's just <laughs> a little bit inconvenient. So when I was able to get access to convention space and some support from the con to be able to manage doing the titanium tea in a bigger situation, it progressed on from there. So uh, it's, it's become a regular tradition at FC a lot of people come to, you know, look for me there. And I started getting the panel put into the convention book. So that's where we are now.
2: I love it. I love your panel. It's, it's great. Actually. So I joke, I say, I'm only, I'm going to con. I don't go to con programming except my own. Cause that's when we do our show live. But that it, actually I realize now that that's a lie. I do go to yours. I think it's the only con programming I go to. Cause it's otherwise I'm just being social. It's, it's wonderful. And if, you're at FC, go find titanium tea on the schedule. It's it's wonderful. It's really good tea. So, I always appreciate you running that. Um, Thank you. Thank yeah. you.
4: So so let's, And let's, I also make mm-hmm. a, a tea-infused cocktail for the, the Black Hole Party. Now, for those of you that aren't familiar with the Black Hole Party, if you are familiar with Star Trek as opposed to Star Wars, um, the black hole party star wars the next generation yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah don't do that no don't don't, don't, don't <laughs> no. so the black hole party is also known as the klingon bar party now these folks dress up in the the, the tortoise shell and they have uniforms and things like that and they will curse at you and klingon and they will have uh, a menu with all sorts of drinks that are Star Trek themed. I first went to the Black Hole party uh, back in 2007 and it was very enjoyable and I enjoyed myself so much that the following year I made them a gift of the the Blood of Kalis, which was a black tea vodka with ginger served as a shot. And you know they enjoyed it and I kept donating uh, tea infused drinks to them over a number of years because they collect donations for their drinks to help cover their expenses. But the money after their expenses are covered, they donate to make a wish. So obviously, the more money they collect, the better. So I started donating tea infused cocktails for them since uh, 2008. So as of last January would be eleven years. And so I would create uh unique cocktails uh each year, a different one each year. So uh this past year was called uh Mutara Nebula. And those of you that don't know what the Mutara Nebula is about, I recommend you go look at Star Trek Two Wrath of Khan and that'll explain it.
2: So let let's move into the topic then a little bit. Um I'm 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 kind of I like there's all the stereotypes that we always try to address, but I think we're going to skip those and and kind of talk about um, your lives in general. And I think the first question that I would have is why why is this conversation so difficult for people to have? Because I always think that that if we all talked more about stuff in general, right, we wouldn't be so tribalistic in a lot of ways right like there's like it's it's a natural psychological thing to fear the unknown and fear things that are different but it's very different than not being willing to have a conversation about things that might be hard sometimes to talk about so um i'm gonna i'm gonna start with you hybron um and then we'll pass to you watcher but hybrid why do you think this kind of a conversation about about color and race is hard to have
5: um well part of it, it's a lot of the factors that you had mentioned. Part of it is like tribalistic uh, situations, uh, people's different views. Um, I'm just trying to think of one instance, but, and also, let's see also the problem too, to add to what you're saying, is that people sometimes would feed into a stereotype and they actually immediately believe that's what, that person is, that person of color, whether it's Asian, black, Latino, and so on and so forth. And people will sometimes immediately and think, you know, because they're going by the general public that, oh, that's how they are. That's how this person is. That's not that's not necessarily true. And what I feel that people need to do is, as you say, sit and talk. Ask questions. At the same time, it is a bit difficult because you you will have people that are very aggressive, you know, culturally, I, I guess the term would be culturally xenophobic. What I mean by that is, you know, if let's say I go to China, for example, right, you know, I want to go there and ask questions and so on and so forth. And you will have people that will not, you know, interact with me because, you know, for a lot of reasons, I'm American, I'm black, so on and so forth and it's um it is it is it's very difficult it's very difficult but i think with that you just have to be very patient research you know to make sure you get all the right information on things and be be culturally aware i think that's that's how i feel about it uh because i remember i was watching a podcast video uh, that i follow on someone and i'm sorry youtube excuse me and um he's a teacher he he's a, he teaches english in japan It took him months for people to actually come out and talk to him and everything. Because, and it's not because I don't want to use xenophobic, it's because it's too general and that, that creates a negative connotation. I would much rather go by, you know, they're culturally shy with Americans. And, you know, same thing, same thing out here. You know, you have neighborhoods that you're not, that, you know, you don't want to go into because of the color of your skin. But at the same time, at the same time, you will have those same people that I'm sorry, the same groups of people where you'll have some individuals mm-hmm. that will invite people into said community, because you know we all live in the same area, like where I live. There's you know a mixed race of people out here. We all live in the same same town and everything. We we all go to the same stores without any major issues.
4: Watcher, what do you think? Um, to an extent, I agree, but. I feel xenophobic is not too harsh a term to use because, you know, you have cultures or societies where they're fine as long as everyone looks the same. You know, if if one person looks like another, they can get along. But when you bring in uh, someone that looks different, well. Instead of treating that person equally, they will treat that person differently. And that's not right. And then when you have social media or television and movies, you know, there are movies and television shows that are being done today that weren't done two, three or four decades ago. So you have some of the Institutionalized racism or ignorance brought about because of limited exposure. So, yes, communication is important. And if there was more communication and interaction, there would be more empathy, more consideration, more understanding. But when you have, say, a group of of white kids that have limited experience or exposure to anyone that was non-white because they either learn certain habits or tendencies from their parents or family or they see things on the radio or not on the radio can't see on the radio but television or in the movies it's like before certain shows in the 80s like the cosby show or even earlier around, I think, the late 60s, when you had Julia, the thought of a single black woman being able to raise a son and be a role model, you know, if you didn't see stuff like that, you wouldn't think that was possible. But it's okay to assume, you know, oh, well, they're white, so they they can do all these things. There are no limitations. But there are those limitations and there's ignorance that prevents people from being able to treat people decently or respectfully because, well, yeah. So basically, a lot of the problems are because there isn't enough communication or openness to diversity.
2: Do you feel do you you feel hesitance in talking about race uh, on from your side of of the i don't know what the word is but you know what i mean or or do you feel are you pretty comfortable talking about it it
4: depends on the environment that i'm in it's really a matter of picking your battles because you're going to have some people that are open to listening and having a discussion and that way both sides get something out of that but when you're not able to have a two sided conversation that's generally harder to accomplish or achieve. So it depends on the situation. If I feel that I can have an intelligent discussion on things, you know, I will talk about things from my experiences and my perspective and hear what they have to say. And I may get some new insight or information from it. Or I could learn that this person is an ignorant dirt nugget that just chooses not to be open or learn.
2: Hibern, do you feel do you feel hesitation in talking about race?
5: Um no. No. I, I mean well within reason. I say that is because I do agree with what Watcher is saying that, you know, I don't have a problem talking about it if you know, um, it's case depending on the situation at that time. Basically, you know, if, if, if the conversation, you know, or there's an issue that's heated, um, you know, I try to wait until things calm down a bit. And then, yeah, I'll have a sit down with somebody and just say, you know, little cat A, B, C, and D um, about it. I don't have a problem talking about it because, you know, if you don't, if you don't talk about it, how are you going to get any insight into it? How are you going to, you know, know about anything um and let alone you know you get the you get an experience out of the situation out of the conversation you know and it's not and honestly i mean i think that's that's part of the reason like i said that there's there's always this, these these problems in the world as a whole and even with other races is because we don't i mean i could be wrong but from what i've been seeing in my travels i feel like people don't talk enough
2: I, i'd agree with that i've said it plenty of times i don't think people talk nearly enough about things that we need to be talking about we talk too much about things that are not important sometimes
5: you know and i think the the, the, the thing too is people aren't it's and the other thing too is that people aren't listening i mean i feel like yeah people are going to spout their opinions and yes you are entitled to it but that also conflicts with reason because you know i had i had a discussion the other day about something and i'm, I'm not i'm not going to delve into politics too much here because it's that's not what we're here for, I don't think. but basically it was it was of that topic, but the individual felt that uh, the, the person felt really strongly about it and it was kind of hard to try to convince the person that okay, it doesn't make sense. Why stick with your opinion over um, lack of reasoning of not your decision but you know your opinion. That makes sense?
2: Yeah,
5: yeah. Yeah, and it just, it didn't, the conversation just didn't work out. I kind of just, my own way, just dismissed. I just basically said, okay, all right, no, no problem. You know, sometimes you're going to run into hurdles, and you can't, you can't always get everyone to, you know, understand your side, but the more you do it, the more people you'll have, you'll, 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 you'll give them that, that understanding and experience of why, you know, in our case, in me and Watcher's case, you know, you know, why blacks are the way they are, how we feel about things, and so on and so forth, and how we are as a culture, both here and all over the world for that matter, and also what we can bring to the table, you know, academically, Mm -hmm. you know, um, academically, through art, so on and so forth.
2: It's, it's an interesting it's an interesting conversation because, so I, I, I grew up in Utah, and Utah is known, I think, in part for, so it's crazy laws. It's just really, 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 really white. Like, it's 95 or so percent white. Like, it is in the 90 percentile. And I grew up in, in I went to school there in the public school system, and I very remember clearly them saying, and i believing it up until, you know, actually, I still believe it. Um, Believing that the world was like, people are people. That's just it. It doesn't matter what people look like. It doesn't matter where they're from. We all share the planet. Let's get along and pull on everyone's strengths, you know? And as an adult, even all the way up until about two years ago, I thought, okay, the world has worked really hard on on not seeing race. We're all just people. And suddenly realizing the world, in fact, isn't that way. Um, and, and kind of having that awakening to where, you know, people aren't seeing people for people and there's the whole play, our own path we got on and took to get to this common area that we call society. Um, and I'm just wondering, do you feel that there's always been a separation and that a lot of people are just becoming aware of it? or or do you think that we have uh, especially in western society had some regression in some of that progress either one of you can take it you two can fight to the death and decide who answers
5: um i can, i can start is that okay watcher <laughs> that's fine okay <laughs> um oh boy well there's um there there well to, to, to answer your question as far as you know, has there been a separation and everything? Yes, a lot of it, and, and a lot of it stems from history, and, and you know, for for very good reason. I mean, I can, and any person can look this up. Look up Emmett Till. Um, he was a, uh, I think he was like eight, seven, eight, or nine years old, around that that age range, and you know, he's a kid. You know, he's he was a black kid, and he wolf he looked at and wolf whistled at a white woman you know he was just a kid you know he didn't know any better okay you kind of just shrug it off or you know you know tell you know and a parent would just say hey don't do that or whatever but some locals got wind of it um two people in particular they basically long story short they kidnapped them and killed them just for that and there was no justice involved sure they were sent to court and everything um but they end up getting set free just, like, the littlest things, like, even when my dad was growing up, it was like there were areas out here in New Jersey that you, as a person of color, were not allowed to be around in or be associated with. Um, you know, just because, you know, there's there's that issue. People have been kidnapped, raped, lynched, murdered, hanged out here. I'm not kidding. Even in New Jersey. I mean, yeah, all that stuff's happened down south, but stuff's happened up here, too. Um. In cities, not so much. Yeah, you had, you know, you know, establishments like bars, restaurants, even movie theaters, where they've had separate rooms. You know, one for whites, one for colored, and you couldn't, you weren't even allowed to like go in there. Same thing with bathrooms; they had one for colored, one for whites. And a lot of times, too, there were uh, these conditions where they they, what they had these establishments for colored people. And everything back then for us, for blacks and everything, and um, any any other minorities of color, um, the conditions were horrible. They were never they were they weren't maintained. They weren't as pristine as some of the other you know other parts of let's say restaurant that kind of thing, and um, that created a lot of frustration over decades and everything. And that's why. You know, whenever there was an opportunity for people of color to, you know, get their own restaurants, you know, have their own businesses and so on and so forth, you know, went for it and created their own community. But at the same token, the majority of them were also keeping separate from the general establishment as a whole in this country because of that fear of, um, you know, going through those murders and, and. You know, so many horrible things, and you know, and people, and even during the civil rights movement, you know, that's why we had this thing where you know, people were fighting for the rights for equal rights of everything. So to get rid of those, um, to get rid of segregation, to get rid of the apartheid, all of that.
2: See, so and that, and And the thing
4: is, there, there are things that are done were done in the past and more likely than not still done have you heard of something called the paper bag test this was a test that some realtors would use to determine whether they were going to rent or sell a uh, property to a person of color if they were darker than the paper bag they would be given an excuse oh you know, this is no longer available or, or something. You know, so What? Yes. Paper bag test. That's ridiculous. Yeah. Of course it's ridiculous. But these these were things that 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 went on. You know, and you you have and, and there there have even been videos on on online where um a woman was harassing uh this realtor he was a real estate evaluator hired by uh, a person who was selling their house to you know check out the house to evaluate it to make sure it was you know sellable this woman called po- the police on this guy fortunately he recorded everything that he was doing and had the paperwork to to verify what he was there for. And, you know, the woman was still being obnoxious and harassing. And, you know, the police, and in this case, the police were on the side of the uh, the, the real estate evaluator uh, where they said, look, if you keep this up, we're going to arrest you. But in many other instances, law enforcement, will side against the person of color. And, you know, that's why people are using their smartphones for documentation, because, you know, far too often, people of color, black, brown, when they have interaction with law enforcement, it can end up being a fatal encounter. You see?
5: Same thing with uh, so even even socially. I mean, in some areas, it's not uh, well, at least up here in in the northern states, it's not as visible as a, as opposed to some areas of the south, which, you know, they still, believe it or not, some of them still support segregated schools to this day. Um, and even like, even now, let's say, you know, like if, if, if we were in public right now, like it was so bad, like even if we were public, mm-hmm. you know, we would have to get together discreetly to even interact and talk with each other that's how bad it was once upon a time uh when it came to segregation and everything else like that and even in my my dad i can tell you like I, i can throw in this um my mom and my dad grew up in in those times my mom lived in philadelphia um she dealt with you know the segregation um but not so much the um the bad conflicts, the racial conflicts and stuff so much as my father did, because um, he lived out here and out here in New Jersey, there was farmland at one point. So, you know, he would walk to school every day, walk to school, you know, he'd be called the N word on a daily basis. Um, just, just for being there, just for being there, just for being black. And he had to literally fight every day just to get to and from school. Um, and then when, you know, they, my parents got together and this was back in, in the in eighties. The Even out here, there were certain areas that we were not allowed to be in at certain hours because, you know, there were, you know, a lot of racist folk in um, parts of New Jersey. So we had to be very careful. Um, And it felt like looking back, I can see why they did it. And I understand. But when I was growing up, it was frustrating because I felt like I was in prison. But that wasn't the case. And then when I brought this up to my folks, they're like, no, we just want you to be safe. And here's why. And, you know, my dad we would talk for hours about this. And I got to tell you, it was very startling, upsetting, Um, you know, made me sad and made me angry, but it also made me understand that, you know, the world isn't perfect and there's nothing wrong with that. It's just a matter of like, like like we discussed earlier when we all agreed upon was that, you know, we just got to get along better and just, just talk things out. And, you know, you don't have to be friends or whatever. You can just be, Good neighbors, per se, just you know, going about your business. You know that—that's how I feel about it.
4: Well, it's easy. It's easy to be good neighbors when you have neighbors that don't use their white privilege against you. Right, that's true. You've seen, you've seen on the news, you know, Barbecue Becky and and all these other people who called the police. Now, the police are law enforcement that are needed in critical times, in critical areas, and you have these people calling the police on black people for no legitimate reason other than they feel that these black people are, how dare they be in their quote-unquote area.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: You know, they, they they feel entitled to things because this is what they were taught growing up. And this lie, this delusion was fed to them growing up and they don't learn anything better from that as an adult. Yeah. So then you have, you know, uh, a, a woman who lived in the gated community, but this asshole called the police demanding to see her her ID, and all this other stuff. Now, mind you, this guy was not, you know, uh, the community security or anything like that had no authority to demand that. And so he goes and calls the police on this woman who was there legitimately with her kids. And, you know, so that is going to be a traumatic experience because those kids are not going to forget that. Mm-hmm. Or you have uh, an instance where um, you, you have uh, George Zimmerman going around tracking Tavon Martin, you know, with the excuse that, oh, he, he was up to something. He was a kid, he was minding his own business. But because he was black, Zimmerman felt that he was in the right to, to go and, and, and follow him. Now, mind you, the police, the police on the phone said, you know, don't follow him, let us handle it. But he goes and and does it anyway. And because he's carrying a, a, a weapon, he ends up killing Trayvon Martin. Now, the only difference between this and Liam Neeson is that, thank, Goodness, Liam Neeson did not encounter any black men when he went out trying to quote unquote seek justice for his friend that was allegedly raped. Because otherwise, this would be a different story. Because then Neeson would have gone and murdered someone. But, you know, of course, Neeson isn't a racist. No, not at all. Neither is Mel Gibson. You know, so.
5: Can I? I want to add to that too, uh, to what you're saying. Like, uh, even in this, I believe this took place in Florida. But any any listeners, feel free to correct me on this. But there was there was there was a woman. Uh, she's a person of color, and um, there was a domestic uh, issue with her and her husband. And she she was issued a gun. She legally owned one and everything else. And she did, you know, she followed all the laws and procedures of owning and using a gun. And um, this was down, I believe it was in Florida, um, and it was under the laws of stand your ground. And she followed that, you know, she, because her her now late ex husband went and tried to harm her, actually kill her, and she acted in self defense with a gun. But she gets thrown in jail, and, 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 and they they tried her guilty for it, even though she followed the law. She followed. You know, all the protocols of owning a gun. Oh, she, Things like this...
4: Oh, no, no, she, she wasn't innocent. She was guilty of being black. Plain and simple. Yeah. The double, I mean, double standards, it's like, you know... Of course. The media will go... You, you have all of these mass shootings going on, and these are, are done by white supremacists and white nationalists, but... Uh, some of the media outlets will go and say oh well uh he was a troubled youth or blah 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 and all this other stuff it's like really really you know it's like the
5: family fought that yeah the family fought that they said no he was a good kid you know he had family friends and so on and so forth they were all backing him up and i mean but- yeah
4: I mean, that, that that garbage is nonsense. You can't go and say, what, oh, he was a good kid, you know. It's like, well, mm-hmm. he wasn't a kid when he went and shot up a church. Or he wasn't a kid because, you know, uh, and you had this, this this person who was rich uh, in, I believe it was the Las Vegas shooting, where, you know, it, it's like the media will sometimes bend over backwards to paint you know, a normalized or, or humane picture of the person who went and hurt or killed numerous people with a firearm. And and and, it, and it's ridiculous.
5: Yeah. And, you, and of course, yeah, of course, you're gonna. And I mean, I've had people come to me just say, you know, they try to say, you know, well, you know, blacks are just as bad, you know, as white criminals and such and stuff. Okay, that may be true. But when it's plain in your face that this person didn't do any wrong, like Trayvon Martin, Emmett Till um I didn't I didn't make my notes for for the woman that was acting in self-defense you know and it's as plain as day that they did no wrong but yet they're criminalized like this that's wrong that's bad and yes people and people especially people of color are gonna be upset about it because gotta say you know they're sick and tired of this injustice and these laws that we are or the double trying.
4: standard of justice, exactly.
5: Right. You know, and they're, they're trying to obey these laws, but yet you, we get, you know, we get we get you know thrown all over the place, uh, you know, unjustly, and there's no need for it,
4: right? Or, or then you have you know some some white people saying that oh well if they only listened to the police you know they 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 wouldn't have gotten harmed or they wouldn't have gotten shot. Oh
5: crap. People have gotten ki- yeah, people have gotten killed or injured. People have actually been brutalized for listening to the police.
4: Exactly, because there there have been plenty of evidence and documentation where, you know, you have a a a a, a black suspect being uh, encountering the police and they may comply, but then, you know, they end up getting shot and killed. Oh, and then when they do the investigation, the police officer saying, "Well, I, I I felt threatened with my life and stuff like that." Really? Okay. The person was unarmed, and yet, you you know, somehow these black men have weaponized being black to the point where these white police officers feel threatened uh, that they they have to kill them in order to protect themselves. Yet there have been numerous instances when you have white suspects and even to the point where some of these suspects fire at the police and even injure the police yet they get taken in alive why is that
5: yeah and then see the, to answer your question to, to add to what you're saying Watcher but also to answer your question tugs is that that's why things like this it's so hard for people to try to you know, come together a little closer because you got to understand, people, you know, have seen this in history and even though it's not as visible now as it was, heck, even 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 70 years ago, so on and so forth, it's still relevant. It's I'm sorry, it's still relevant to what's happening now where, you know, racism is everywhere and people are struggling with it. and But also... On the lighter, at the light at the end of the tunnel, on the lighter side of things, you have people, you know, that are trying to be better about it. What I mean by that is, you know, overcoming the racism, overcoming the ignorance and the assumptions and stuff. Like, you know, if I see, you know, if I see a Caucasian guy walking by, I'm like, oh no, what's he going to do? Is he going to lynch me? No, no, I'm like, I don't know you from a hole in the wall. You may come, of course, you know, you're going you're gonna, to, you may have good intentions, you may have bad intentions, but. You have to come to that sense of balance on how to approach anyone. Black, white, Asian, so on and so forth.
6: Hello and welcome to Get Psyched with Dr. Nuka. A lot of things stress us out. The big sources of stress are usually pretty obvious work or school deadlines, paying bills, medical issues, things that have a big impact on our lives. But what about the little things, the minor hassles we face each day? Traffic on the way to work, arguing with our partner, or just trying to pay more attention to what we're eating. With the holiday season past us, many people struggle to get back into their day-to-day routine, something which in and of itself is actually kind of stressful. Couple this with all the frustrations of the winter season, Miserable weather, dangerous driving conditions, short daylight hours. And it's not hard to see why January and February are the most stressful months for many of us. But what's the big deal? I mean, sure, stress is unpleasant and all, but it's just a matter of hunkering down and muscling through it, right? Well, that's the attitude we're taught to have towards stress. And in many ways, that attitude is what's killing us. I probably don't have to tell you about all the ways stress is bad for our mental health. It's linked to anxiety and depression, and it aggravates existing mental health problems. But what if I told you stress is literally killing us, not just figuratively? To see why stress is so dangerous, it helps to know what stress is. Stress is our body's way of helping us cope with threats to our survival. Back in prehistoric times, our ancestors would occasionally encounter dangerous situations – predators or hostile tribes attacking us. In these fight or flight moments, our body dumped everything it had into helping us survive for the next few minutes. This sometimes meant shutting down everything not essential like digestion or our immune system. After all, why bother trying to fight off a bug if you're just going to get killed by a predator in the next couple minutes? In this context, stress really was quite useful to us. It was like an afterburner for our bodies. It gave us a jolt of energy that we needed to survive the occasional life-threatening situation. Now fast forward a few thousand years to the current day. Most of us rarely find ourselves in these life-threatening situations. But What we do experience are hundreds of small day-to-day stressors. We react to work deadlines, traffic, politics, and bills with the same physical stress response that our ancestors relied on. And while this wouldn't be so bad if it only happened once in a while, doing this all the time is really taxing on our system. It's terrible for our heart. It's bad for our digestion and it's really bad for our immune system because it essentially gets turned off and on every time you experience stress. A 1991 study by Cohen, Tyrell and Smith shows what the effect of stressing our immune system has on us. People under high amounts of stress were 30% more likely to get a cold when exposed to the cold virus. Another study found that work related stress makes people 3.5 times more likely to get sick and a study of dentistry students even found that wounds took days longer to heal during final exams than they did during summer vacation. So what does all this have to do with the furry fandom? Well, two things actually. First, it's worth paying attention to your fellow furs and their levels of stress during this particularly trying time of year. Keep in mind how rough the post-holiday season is for all of us. especially for people dealing with extra stress like medical issues, family or relationship problems, or bills. And when you hear someone talking about how much stress they're under, take it seriously. If they've been stressed for a while, it's going to take its toll on their mind and their body. The second and probably more important reason why stress is relevant to the furry fandom is because, well, for many people, the furry fandom is where they go to de-stress. A great deal of research, including research by yours truly, has shown that leisure activities and recreational groups are one of the best ways to effectively reduce stress. It doesn't even take much, a half hour of gaming with friends here, a small gathering of furs there, heck, even just taking a few minutes to chat with some furs in a telegram group can help a person unwind and give them a much needed break from day to day life. The take home message is this, in this fast paced world, it's easy to downplay or underestimate the effects of stress. We often become complacent and accept a certain amount of stress in our lives as normal. We might even feel guilted into just trying to tough it out or suck it up. But the research shows time and time again just how dangerous this way of thinking is. It's bad for our minds and it's especially bad for our hearts and our immune system. So make sure you take a bit of time for yourself. Unwind with some other furs, play a video game or just take a few minutes to relax with your favorite hobby. Doctor's orders. This has been a quick look into the psychology of stress. I'm Dr. Nuka, thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time on Get Psyched.
3: You're listening to Bawaditzwa, brought to you by Bawaditzwa brand salt. When you think of someone cranky at something that doesn't really matter, think Bawaditzwa. Are you in need of seasoning your favorite dish or warding off demons? Or perhaps you want to prank the coffee drinker in the house. Then look no further. For what it's worth brand salt is made from only the finest, most pointless rage. I'm looking at you boys who thought Captain Marvel would bomb. It's perfect for all your salty needs. Already all stocked up on salt? Then why not contribute to the Patreon campaign? It helps keep the show running, and it keeps us from having to harvest tears from Rue and Tugs. They're almost tapped out anyway. Seriously, they're severely dehydrated. For what it's worth brand salt cry some more. My fries are bland.
2: So the, I, this question has been burning as, I, as I've been hearing your frustration and I I, this is, I, this, I have to paint a little bit of the background here. So, so pardon me for just a moment, but what I, what I have personally, my perspective, which I'm about to be corrected. So please don't take offense is my perspective has been, okay, a lot of very open, hostile, separate but equal type racism existed up until we had Martin Luther King. We had the civil rights movement and they passed the civil rights act. You know, all of that stuff happened. And I, I understood it in history class that, okay, things were still tough. We still had to send in the troops here and there to get some things fixed. People um, were, were adjusting. There was maybe a period of 10 to 15 years, but by basically the eighties, we were generally doing a lot better about it. And a lot of these things that you're talking about now um, that you, that you think about and are very real um, weren't quite so severe. And then, suddenly in the last four four years or so things aren't doing quite as well as they may have been doing so was there this period of like everyone kind of got over it and there was general progress and enlightenment or did things just kind people were fatigued and some of these issues just kind of got put under the rug because the media wanted to talk about something else is is there actually a cultural backlash to all this progress or did the progress not happen
4: Some progress happened, but here's the thing. When you had the 2016 uh, presidential election, you ended up having a very different dynamic occur. Because here you have 45, a person who has had history of basically being racist and a bigot, And effectively, the second greatest gaslighter in history, short of Adolf Hitler, because he's not that great, successful businessman. He's had several uh, failed businesses, but he inherited his money. He somehow got people to believe that he was a great businessman and able to bring effective change to the country. And this person has emboldened a lot of white nationalists and bigots to be vocal and go about doing things. You see, when you have a white supremacist talking out against Muslims, blacks, Jews, what have you, they feel that they're getting a smaller piece of the pie. You know, they they feel that, well, you know, I'm supposed to get this big pie, this big piece, and and all these people are, are interfering with me getting that big piece. You know, having human rights, equal rights, is not giving them a smaller piece of the pie. What it's doing is... Allowing for a bigger pie to be made so that it's distributed amongst everyone. But you have some people that don't think that way. They figure, well, you know, I like the way things were before. I don't like change. You're, 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 you're changing my pie. And so this ends up creating these situations like in Charlottesville, where there were, quote unquote, very fine people on both sides. But yet it was. One side that ended up having casualties and fatalities. And, you know, again, the racism, the bigotry, the misogyny, these are things that are taught. I mean.
2: You guys still with me?
4: You look at the movies, some of the movies, seeing some of the old James Bond movies. Oh my gosh. I mean, I looked at, um, Goldfinger the other month. And the way that James Bond is like, yes, I'd like a vodka martini shaken not stud. Oh money penny, you're so sexy. You know, looking back on that now, it's like, wow, you're sexually harassing someone in the workplace, or you're treating a female spy like a sex toy in a plaything for you to do. I understand you're a spy and you know, all, but Did it ever occur to you that a woman could be just as good a spy, if not better, than you? But that's not how things were written back then. That's not how we were taught growing up. We're taught that, you know, man, good, man strong, better than woman, and all this other stuff. And yet, men can't endure the pain of childbirth. You know, so... It's like a lot of these problems stem from upbringing and limited perspective, understanding, consideration. And unfortunately, women are are, are, are learning this and teaching it to their daughters. So it's like, oh, you don't want to go and have a career for yourself. What you want to do is get yourself a good man. Let him take care of you. Why? Why can't the woman take care of herself? Or yet, why can't the woman take care of a man? Let the man, you know, run the household, the woman go out and work and things like that. No, we can't have that because that messes up the, the structure and, and the, the misogyny and the, the mindset that previous generations grew up with.
5: It is getting a little better. At the very least, I mean, I was, I was just um, before before this. Before.
4: Oh yeah, there, there's some progress, but yeah, you know, it, it's like a lot of the stuff that happened since forty five took office demonstrated. You know, I feel that I have a bigger target on my back because I'm a black man in this country, and you know. It doesn't matter that I'm a good person and and law-abiding, I always have to anticipate that I will not get a fair shake because I'm a black man. If I were a white man, I wouldn't have these concerns
5: yeah, because here's the, and to add to what you're saying to that too watcher is that even even if we don't we don't have him in office as a person of color we always have to feel that way we you know half the time we do most of the time we do really because you could you could come you 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 and and a a caucasian person or even another person of color we all come from the same background have the same education so on and so forth right when we get into that job interview or get selected for anything the other person not me or not the other black male or black female or whatever the other person will more than likely get it mind you you know we have the same background same education be one thing if it was different you know we had you know different education different backgrounds okay then fine that's fair but if you're having the same opportunities but then you get you get blindsided or tripped up because you're black that's that's not fair
4: not at all
2: absolutely i i'm i'm hearing very real and deserved frustration here and i i man, it it's it's very it's very real to me right now because i know you guys and and hearing you be so honest and authentic about this it really hits you know it really hits where it counts and and i know for me it inspires me to be more on the on the lookout for hey. There's a perfectly good guy right here. Have you considered him as fairly as anyone else sort of thing? Not that I want to go out and be like a guardian or a savior because that's also not healthy. I just want people to see people for people if that makes sense. Right. And yes, right. And I, and I, I and I would like to think that the world can get there for sure. Um, the other thing I'm hearing from, from you gentlemen is something that I'm dying to ask, which is this. There's, there's a theory that men, think about sex every 15 18 whatever interval right how often do you guys think about race as black men how often are you thinking about race do you think about race like white guys are thinking about sex
4: well okay i guess it would depend on when you say thinking about race i mean i don't think about race all the time every waking moment i mean i'm black you know it's 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 what it is but depending upon uh say if i see something in the news and this was something that i had a discussion with my mother one time when there was some sort of tragedy or something perpetrated by someone and then it turned out to be a white person i would say oh shoo thank goodness because the thing is The media would always portray, you know, bad things when people of color do them and not equally all around. Not, you know, putting news about a bad person in general. They seem to sensationalize it when it's a person of color. And, you know, it's it's also in, in the media in terms of uh, television movies where before the only time that you would see a person of color was as, as a sidekick or a criminal a prostitute or something like that. It was um, something in, um, it was a, a movie that Robert Townsend had done uh, Harlem shuffle. And he was playing, a character that was an aspiring actor. And at some point, he had to decide whether he was going to do this role where he was a black character that was being, uh, acting like a pimp or something like that. And he didn't accept the role because, you know, he had his little brother there at, um, at the shoot. And, he just didn't want to jump through hoops cuz here you had this white director saying, "Oh yeah, you're supposed to do all this," you know, acting like he knows how black people are supposed to act and things like that. And you know, that's not to say that that is true in all the various movies, but it was a a valid point of when you have people writing and directing about different people that they really have little to no understanding or experience with. So that's why something like the movie black Panther, it wasn't racist. It dealt with something where you had a black director working with a black cast to create art. And it was very successful. But the thing is, it has taken all this time to be able to do this because for years you did not really see people of color in lead roles or positive roles. You know, so it's, it's, I don't think about it all the time, but whenever I'm exposed to something either online or in the news or something like that. I will have a racial filter in place because I will always be wondering, okay, would that happen or play out that way if it involved people of color? Or how different would it be if it involved a white person?
0: Fifty Sheds of Grey is brought to you by Powdery Nards. When your boys need to go first class, try Powdery Nards. It would have been amusing if it hadn't been the potential to be so dangerous. All right, ladies and gentlemen, it is now time to spin the character generator wheel. Let's see. Insert sound effect here. Jamie spelled with an I, Flanagan, Kramer. There you go. That's a name for a character. We even have a middle name for this character because that'll come in to be important later, I'm sure. Jamie, spelled J-A-Y-M-I, by the way, not just Jamie, which has a Y and an I. We can only assume parents were hippies. Watched as her younger sister, Cammy, spelled with an I, very important, sneaked another shy look at, all right, spin that dial again, Rafer Callahan. Sure, why not? Because a good Irish name like Callahan deserves a good first name like Rafer. One of Corbin County's three bad boys and the man Jamie's deceased husband had claimed as blood brother. We can only assume that they make wine coolers in Corbin County. He was the man she was sleeping with, but that wasn't important, as the fact that he was her best friend. Aww. And he knew just as well she did that sleeping with him was her attempt to stay close to the husband who is forever gone. That is creeptastic. He had been Ty's best friend, blood brother, and the only man she knew who came even close to her soulmate. Stop saying blood brother. She turned her gaze away from Cammie and Rafe and let it sweep over the crowd attending the Saturday night social as they drank their wine coolers. Jamie loved the name of the country's weekly street party and dance that had become a tradition of almost required attendance. They, this better be a really good name, all right? So I'm just saying, this is being, th- there's an entire paragraph of talking about this name, so this got to be amazing. The, the mayor and city officials pushed the weekend socials the way some towns pushed voting, sports arenas, and political agendas, wholeheartedly. Corbin County and its seat, Sweet Rock, promoted their drug awareness and children first agenda with the same passion and strength. They had adopted the slogan more than a generation before and made sure everyone knew they meant it. They still haven't told us the name of this county street party yet. Friday after school, the community center opened and any child enrolled in school from Head Start to college was welcome. B-Y-O-S-B. Bring your own sleeping bag was the rule, but there were so many donated bags it really wasn't necessary and by that point everyone in town had crabs anyway. (laughs) City officials, employees, and any and all teachers from tenure to substitute were required to give one weekend per month to chaperone the social as well as the community center and they still haven't told us the name of the damn event that she loved so very much.
2: Let's dial this into something that I think a lot of our audience can relate to and see, see what it's like. So for instance, I live across the street from a Walgreens. I'll go over there and get a soda. It's a thing. It's the most convenient place to get a soda, right? I'll go there and I'll browse around sometimes or whatever, because it's late or I've had a little bit of, you know, the devil's lettuce and that's what you do. And I just, I just go. And it's no big deal. When you go to a store and it's, 930 at night you want a soda do you find that you're treated different do you do you do you see staff kind of keeping a closer eye on you is it is it have we just taken a lot of what used to be open behavior and buried it you think or some people are just dumb like they just watch everybody
4: no i think it depends i i think it depends on the store that you're going to um if at 930 at night More likely than not, I'm going to a neighborhood store. So there are people of color in my neighborhood. So if I felt that I was being mistreated or handled differently, like if someone is following me around when there's no reason to be following me around, I will call them out on it. And you know, it's like, I'm not going to spend my money there and I will make sure to let Other people in the neighborhood know of this, you know, because it's like, I'm not going to support Chick-fil-A because they finance, they, they donate money to, uh, anti LGBTQ organizations and agendas, you know, and to be honest, their chicken sandwiches aren't that great to justify, you know, financing things that would end up hurting me. but. For the most part, I don't have that issue, the stores that I tend to go to. But then I'm in a major city where there's a diverse community. But say if I went to the Chinatown section, uh, it might be different because, again, I'm not one of them. So it, it would vary. I've been fortunate in that I haven't been subjected to that. Only because the places that I tend to go to have enough diversity in the community
2: that it would
4: be uh, a financial death sentence for business to do that.
2: So, before we go to break, um, I have an interesting question, which I always like to turn a question and turn it on its ear, just because why not? 42. Is Is it possible for a black person to be racist? I mean... I mean, I, I don't, and I don't mean like, oh, let's treat white people different. I mean, like, like, in, I, I'm, I mean, you have obviously a lot more black friends, I'm assuming than I do because of where you live and, you know, your path in life. Do you, do you feel like there are people in, in the black community that, you know, that are like, oh, well, the Chinese are just awful people. Let's, you know, cause there's, I mean, people joke about being Asian, right? Like there's racism against Asians. Is that, does that happen? Does that happen in, in, in the black community? I have no idea.
4: Well, to well, first off, I'm not going to be a hotep and say, "Oh yes, I know everything from the black community." Because the thing is, of course, there are going to be different situations based on the community that those black people are in. So you have uh, a black community uh, on the left coast. Mm-hmm. They will have perceptions uh, about Latinos because there will be, there may be uh, Asians or other races in the community, but there would tend to be more uh, Latinos. So it's going to vary depending upon which area of the country or the world that that black community is. Uh, and then you're going to have a situation where you will have uh, the black community being the entirety of one family because they're inside uh, basically a, a, a white town or something like that where it's not going to have much diversity. So it's, it's, it's sort of hard to give a clear answer to that because
2: Of course. And, and we're only doing your experience, right? Like you're not speaking for everybody just so we're absolutely crystal clear with the audience. This is just, you know, your perspective.
4: Right. Um, growing up, I was exposed to a bunch of different people and cultures. Uh, I've had some people from, you know, they live here and, and they are from either Israel or they're from, uh, a, a Jewish community, and I, I speak words of Yiddish. You know, I I know enough to say certain phrases. Not that I'm fluent or anything. Same thing with with Spanish or uh, some Korean, only because of the exposures that I've come across. But my 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 parents didn't teach me about the the negative aspects of other races that some people may have been exposed to. So the the quote-unquote stereotypes that I've learned about, I ended up learning from uh, media, television, movies, things like that. So having accurate and proper representation in diversity is key. Because that way we actually get to learn something about someone's background or culture, as opposed to the ignorant stereotypes that, you know, were spread around for decades. So that, you know, so that way you don't have situations where, you know, uh, a a white person is going over to someone's house or having a, a black person over at their house and. They say, "Oh well, I fixed all your favorite things. Here's some watermelon and some fried chicken, and you know, and, and all this other stuff. And it's like this this person is, it may be a vegetarian, and it's you know, it may be allergic to watermelon. It's like, do 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 you know me? Why would you think that I would eat that? You know, so it's again, it's it's a learning process, but it's a matter of having." The information out there and for people to to take it in as opposed to taking in the stereotypes
2: so you know it's interesting that that you're that as as you're sharing this i think what i what i am learning or at least correct correct me where i'm wrong here but is that it's possible for anyone of any race or creed to be racist against another racist or creed but because you are in a society where there is so much background already inbuilt racist type legacy things or people that are just not educated and brought up to be multicultural that you're more sensitive to it and so the likelihood is lessened that someone could have those same behaviors that isn't white do you think that that's that's an accurate statement
4: i won't disagree with you on that it's 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 sort of A a difficult thing to just—it's not black and white.
2: Nothing ever is. uh,
4: No pun intended. Right. Um. Um. the The thing is, a lot of things are dependent upon the experiences that a person goes through, both good and bad. Um. And I guess basically the bottom line is, if we interact and communicate more, we you know so that way. Say, if someone's a Mormon, you know, understanding certain uh, cultural aspects of being in a Mormon community or in an Amish community, uh, and, and things like that, it would help to be able to understand and engage better. It, it's sort of like, um, I guess, uh, if you've seen Stargate Atlantis, where, um, Taylor, acts as a liaison for Atlantis in terms of picking out uh, various communities to do trade with. And she uses her experience to, you know, assess the community that they're, they're dealing with and, you know, helps there to be a better understanding between both sides so that Everything is mutually beneficial to both parties. I guess we all need to be more open like Taylor and engage in good faith and understanding and be open to learning. You're right. You're absolutely right.
2: So let's go to break. Uh, And then I want to talk about fandom-specific stuff.
0: Oh, man. Gotta stop this episode? I guess you'll have to wait until next week for what it's worth.